This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. We're already counting down to Saster Annual 2020. For our loyal podcast listeners, we want to give you $100 off towards your ticket. Just buy your ticket using code FAVE100. Up today, Plaid co-founder and CEO, Zach Perret. I'm Ari from CNBC. This is Zach from Plaid. And uh, well, it's interesting because you're not a SaaS company. Um, so we're at Saster, but uh, we'll talk about what it's like to not be a SaaS company at Saster. SaaS-ish. Um, SaaS-ish. But first, uh, just for, for people who don't have a good idea of what Plaid does, maybe give a, a kind of brief overview. Sure. Um, so Plaid, we build the infrastructure that let uh, consumers interact with their bank accounts uh, on the web. The core thesis behind it is uh, banking was built for a world that didn't envision the internet. And as such, most things that we do in our financial lives are frustrating, difficult. They require you to walk into a bank branch, talk to a banker, send in a fax, print out 50 pages of bank statements in order to apply for a loan. Um, all those things are kind of frustrating and annoying. And so what we build is uh, the infrastructure that lets you programmatically interact with your bank account. Think of us taking your bank account, wrapping a set of APIs around it, and then enabling you to interact with that bank account through any application that you want to uh, out there on the web. Easy way to think of it is uh, Venmo was one of our first customers. Um, we do the connectivity between Venmo and the bank account, um, allowing the two to talk to each other and allowing you as a consumer to come to Venmo and say, hey, link my bank account, move money in and out. So infrastructure for fintech uh, is, is, is a shorter way to say it. And uh, um, give a sense of, so I as a consumer don't know Plaid necessarily. I, I never uh, I well, know not yet. that. Not yet. I, but I never know that I'm interfacing with it. What's the difference in sort of a Plaid world versus a pre-Plaid world and what my experience is as a consumer? Yeah. So as a consumer, uh, the way that you interacted with your, your finances on the web pre-Plaid was uh, doing a variety of manual processes. So if you've ever had to start a new job and walk in with a voided check, uh, and then they take that voided check and they figure out how to process your payroll, uh, that's, that's pre-plaid. Or if you've ever gotten a two cent and a four cent deposit into your account as you're trying to set up direct deposit or, or payments transfers, that's, that's a pre-plaid world. Or frankly, uh, using your debit card to, or credit card to do uh, all sorts of payments that uh, you really should be just doing directly from your bank account. Applying for a loan, printing out pages of documentation. If you've ever applied for, for a mortgage, there's uh, 50 to 70 pages of documentation per, mor per mortgage. And so we build all the infrastructure to digitize that. And so instead of getting that um, 2 to $0.04 cent deposit in my bank and having to acknowledge that I got them and then waiting a few more days, what happens now? It's instant. You link a bank account and then you can immediately do what you want to do. And you work with how many financial institutions? So in our back end, we've integrated with about 10,000 financial institutions in the U.S. and Canada, uh, which is uh, substantially all. Uh, our lawyers say that substantially all means almost everyone. And uh, uh, so about 10,000 in the U.S. and Canada, uh, and then about uh, about three to 4,000 different fintech applications uh, that have meaningful size, and it's about 70,000 more that have almost no size. So uh, lots of fintech and then lots of, lots of banks in the back end. And so uh, you've had a lot going on in the last couple months. Um, in December, you raised $250 million at a reported $2.7 billion valuation. And in January, the following month, you spent a reported $200 million on Quovo. Uh, so raised $250, reportedly spend $200. Are those related? Reporters report things, so I can't confirm any of those numbers. 
So yes, yeah, of course. Uh, so we we were. I'll talk a little bit about the story. Uh, we were in the midst of, of doing our Series C fundraise. Uh, fortunate to have a really great set of investors, and um, the process was going quite well. Uh, around the same time, um, kind of th this conversation that that uh, we've been having for a long time with the Covo team. Um, kind of reached a point where it made sense to think about uh, joining forces. So Plaid, we, we build integrations into bank accounts focused on letting you interact with your, your money in your bank account in, in whatever way you want to in the web. And Quobo had focused uh, on, on investment accounts and allowing you to programmatically interact with your investment accounts um, through, through third-party applications. Um, and there's actually a really nice, uh, a nice synergy between those two, uh, to use the dreaded term. And so, as we were having this conversation, uh, we did, of course, raise a little bit more money in that round in order to enable the acquisition. We couldn't be more excited with how it's gone so far. Uh, you know, people ask if we had an acquisition strategy. Uh, we definitely don't. Uh, we have a we have a product strategy and a company strategy, and, and it happens that this acquisition was a fantastic fit there. But we are now in the midst of figuring out how to integrate uh, a new hundred people or so into our company, and uh, which brings the total to, to what. Uh, about 260, um, so 90 new people coming on and figuring out how to do that integration. No wonder it's so hard to reach you. Um, <laughs> and so, so what is your relationship with the banking system today? I mean, do they, I guess, do they view you as a partner? Or is there some level of concern that, that you're sort of disrupting, disaggregating, dis, dis something? So we have uh, we've worked a lot with the banks uh, in finding ways to help them build their businesses and make their businesses better. Um, historically, uh, banks were hesitant because we were bringing change. Um, and with anyone that has deeply entrenched uh, long histories of making profit in a certain way, uh, creating change creating change is scary. We were we were coming to them and saying, "Hey, you can you can do these things in a digital way in a different way." Um, there's actually an interesting example that, that I like to cite. Um, if, if you think about the, the heyday, the early days of Wealthfront and Betterment, um, they, they, they came out and people started investing with them and they were really excited to grow their, their assets under management. Um, and over time, they worked really hard over kind of three years maybe, uh, they got to a combined $10 billion in assets under management. About that time, uh, Schwab uh, decided that they needed to, to react. Um, and so they spent nine months internally building this, this product uh, called Intelligent Portfolios. Uh, some of you might use it. And this Schwab product, they launched it, and a month later, they had $10 billion in assets under management. And so what we've actually seen is a sea change in the way that the banks think about fintech and technology in general. Um, they're starting to say, well, fintech is becoming my, my innovation lab. And I'm able to look out there and see what's new, see what's different, and then, and then react to it. Um, and so we've seen the banks not only launch their own products like intelligent portfolios, um, but do partnerships with a lot of lenders, a lot of other, other companies to distribute their products to their customers, ultimately driving that, that com combined customer experience using the fact that a bank maybe has 50 million customers uh, to distribute uh, a, a smaller product and, and kind of sharing in the profit in the back end. So we've seen a, a sea change of banks saying, uh, you know, fintech is bad for me, to now saying, well, fintech might be bad on the margins for me, but I can actually profit from this, so, so, so let's embrace it. So you're, you're distinctly not a SaaS company. Um, so quickly, how, how do you make money? Uh, well, I guess in the truest sense, we do sell software as a service. Um, but uh, we, we tend to differentiate uh, the way that we think about ourselves uh, from SaaS in, in a variety of ways. Um, more specifically, we, we, we're a platform. Uh, and uh, we treat platform as a distinct or, or perhaps uh, odd type of SaaS. 
And as such, we do a lot of things very differently. So when you start to look at the metrics of a platform, uh, there's incredibly high engagement and incredibly low churn. Uh, if engineers are doing days or, or weeks or even, even sometimes months of work to install something, it's incredibly unlikely that they're going to quickly rip it out uh, and change it. Um, if we are kind of a core vendor to enable the user experience you want, or more specifically, enable consumers to actually move money in and out of your platform, uh, it's quite unlikely that you're going to turn that off. And so um, we grow very much as a flywheel. Um, so little by little doing work, getting more and more installs that then pay off uh, years down the line. And that allows us to have a very different go-to-market strategy. It allows us to think more about um, kind of where we enter the organization, how we interact with the organization, and allows us to spend a lot of time on account management uh, and figuring out how best to kind of create champions out of, out of those customers we have. And so so you, you get paid every time someone does what? The, the best way to think of it is uh, the number of monthly active users that an application has uh, that are interacting with their money on that application. So we, we, we get paid on a usage basis for the amount of data or amount of utility that a consumer gets out of an application. And who are you selling to? Who's, who's adopting the product within an organization? So generally, it's a developer that will introduce it to a product manager, and the product manager will do the sales within the organization for us. We have a very strong kind of developer focus. We acquire a lot of our customers or acquire a lot of our interest from forums, Hacker News, and Reddit uh, actually being quite a, quite a good channel for us, and from referrals from one developer to another. Uh, honestly, we have a lot of direct Google search saying, how do I connect a bank account, or how do I see my bank balance, or how do I process an ACH payment? Um, a developer's doing those. Developers doing that, yeah. Uh, Stack Overflow being another good source. Um, and so there's a lot of initial developer interest. And so they'll, they'll do that within their small group. Sure. Kind of a classic bottom-up consumer software in the enterprise. Yeah, we, we call it selling through the basement. Hmm. Um, so uh, we're trying to identify the, the, the lowest level engineer and build a, a fantastic experience for them. So all of, our, all of our user acquisition is focused on someone hits our docs, our docs are our marketing page. Um, someone's able to quickly build something in our sandbox. Uh, they're able to uh, quickly launch an application. And we love applications for fun. Uh, you know, we have a few thousand meaningfully paid applications, but we have tens of thousands of fun applications. So people building... Some of my favorite things are people built a, uh, a bot that texts you every time you get paid, uh, just texts you a bunch of emojis, um, or someone built their own accounting system or, or their own TurboTax just, just right within the platform. They do it for free. And then the great thing is, uh, over time, when, when their boss asks a question or someone says, hey, how do I, how do, I do that thing over there? Uh, then the developer saying, well, try this. Uh, have you used Plaid? So is that, is that how you got uh, installed at, say, Venmo? I mean, was it a few developers that started using it and then it sort of spread throughout the company? Or? Yeah, so Venmo was quite an early version of that. Uh, actually, a, a friend that was head of engineering at Venmo um, kind of came to us and said, hey, can, can, I, can I license this thing? And we said, well, we don't know how to license anything. We just built a product. This is before we had any real revenue. Yes, you can use it. Yeah, but please use it, yes. And, and if you'd like to pay us money, we, we'd love to collect your money. But yeah, that, so that story kind of growing out of, uh, this is at the time the company was located in New York and, and it was a fintech developer community and it was just kind of growing out of that, of people using it. And then uh, actually Venmo became a fantastic lead source for us because uh, an engineer that used Venmo to, to do a linkage uh, working on a project at home, uh, they say, hey, they email someone at Venmo or, or even actually ping Venmo support sometimes to say, hey, how did you do that? Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to do that too. So it really is this, this kind of network-driven acquisition model 
um, that starts with activation of developers, uh, moves very quickly through kind of the, the phases of a traditional cell funnel um, into an evaluation phase. And in the evaluation phase, which is something that um, developers will do on their own if you give them the right set of tools, that's when you really get hooks. Uh, and over time, uh, they'll start to introduce to their product managers. And as we built our sales team, uh, initially it was basically all self-service uh, with, with a couple uh, kind of human interactions. And now as we built our sales team, it's all about helping the product manager sell up through the organization. So actually not truly doing that much sales ourselves. Um, but equipping a product manager to go get their boss to sign the check or, so or ship the product. If you're if you're dealing with a mega bank like a Chase or a Wells Fargo, are, are you still getting adoption group by group, product by product, or is it possible to get sort of an enterprise wide deployment? Yeah. Well, I guess um, when I'm talking uh, about the way that we do customer acquisition, that's mostly in non banks. For, for for banks, we do have a, a more direct sales team. And we do some enterprise-wide adoption, but generally uh, trying to sell to, to Chase as an enterprise is, is nearly impossible. Um, but drilling into the specific use case is much easier. Um, there's, of course, sub-business units and sub-product leads there. Um, and so, for example, with Chase, uh, we've sold directly into their, to their wealth management division uh, to help them build kind of wealth analysis tools for their advisors. In, in that case, yeah, we'll sign actually a narrow MSA. Um, and, and over time iterate that MSA to be many other use cases. Um, but we'll start quite narrowly, uh, focused again on that product person. But we do have a different team that does the bank navigation. So I remember when we, when we first met, I think early last year, early to mid last year, you had just started doing PR. You had just hired like a PR agency to, <laughs> to start uh, getting your name out. And I knew uh, of Plaid because, you know, it's covering um, FinTech and, and finance, your, the name would come up. but but I had never been reached out to by anyone at the company. And so we were having breakfast and I asked you why you got a PR person. And I don't, I don't think you exactly knew why at the time. <laughs> um, but it did make me think like you're not, um, you're not a consumer facing product. Consumers never need to know that they're using you. Yeah. It's not like a, a SaaS product where even people within the organization necessarily need to know they're using you. But you are, you did hire a PR person. You are doing yeah. some marketing. Um, so I guess what is, what do you see as the objective of being better known and, and, you know, how are you spending your dollars to do that? That's a great question. I think you're correct. We don't need every consumer to know who Plaid is. Uh, frankly, uh, what we need is for every consumer to know what Robinhood is and then use Robinhood because that's, that's wonderful for us. Uh, we, we couldn't hope to uh, kind of build a consumer brand that our customers have built, nor, nor would we want to. We truly are an enabler behind the scenes. Um, I think there's, there's a couple elements where we do think about wanting to be a bit more public. Um, one is acquiring customers. So as we start to think about new geographies, um, how do we get initial recognition in those geographies? So we launched Canada um, midway through last year. Uh, how do we get initial recognition in Canada? Um, and, and, and that was important. Um, it's important for recruiting, um, but mostly uh, our, our, our communications are focused on financial institutions and helping them understand what the new world of fintech looks like. And you, you could say, in some sense, banks are our supply side. Um, truly, it's the consumer that's our supplier because it's the consumer's own data that's, that's being passed through the platform. But banks are a key constituency there. And as we, as we think about building a message and kind of sharing a message externally, it's about getting the, the financial community comfortable with the fact that fintech is, is here to stay and that uh, this new normal is actually quite good for them. Uh, they just have to understand it correctly. But yeah, I think a lot of the brand building uh, really does focus on how do we get people to come join our company? Mm -hmm. uh, we need to hire a lot of people. And uh, how do we get the banks to understand what's, what's going on? So what are the marketing channels that you use? Uh, I, I talked a lot about um, kind of developer-focused communications. So um, our blog is a fantastic marketing channel, uh, getting that distributed through Reddit, Hacker News, all, all of those typical places. 
And then uh, we do a bit of direct marketing. We've actually been experimenting with this. Uh, we, we, we started with a $2 million marketing budget last year um, and spent <laughs> less than a tenth of that uh, in, in trying to run some experiments. So figuring out how to scale that up. Um, but truly, developers don't buy through ads. Uh, they buy through content. They buy through uh, kind of deep engagement and, and being truly authentic to the community. Um, so, I mean, I know, I know you're, you're traveling a lot. Um, maybe you could talk about like, who, who you're meeting with when you go to organizations, who, who you're interfacing with. And I would imagine even, you know, uh, even if you are a bottoms-up product, and again, when you're, when you're um, selling infrastructure to big banks, you probably have to get people at the very senior levels comfortable with that, um, I would imagine. Um, so maybe you could just talk about, like, where you're spending your time, how you're spending your time, and who you're meeting with. So I do spend a lot of time with banks, um, but uh, luckily we have a team that, that that is not me that spends a lot of time with banks as well. Uh, I, I have long hair, uh, I wear sneakers, uh, I, I generally wear jeans when, I, when I'm meeting with banks. Um, there's a certain value to being a bit different than, than the mainstream of everyone else that's trying to sell something to them. Are you allowed, uh, do they let you in the bank at least? <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes, there, there's, there, there's been a lot of jokes, but I get a lot of questions, I guess, on the way in. I'm not the first person asked. No, you're not. You're not. Security teams on the way in give me a, the, the evil eye, but no. So, so we have, we have a wonderful team that that does a lot of that relationship building. There's a certain value too to, to to having a dichotomy to truly being a tech company and, and and talking to a bank as a tech company. But you asked how I spend my time. Uh, a lot of my time is focused on kind of internal infrastructure building, making sure that the company uh, is functioning as it needs to as it needs to function. Um, these days, I I do a lot less product work than than, than I once did. Uh, much to my own chagrin, uh, and now the company has become my own product. Uh, so you, you tweak the levers, the company becomes your own product, and, and you focus on on building the right services and, and, and interfaces there. Um, I spend a lot of my time on the road with our customers, just understanding exactly what they need and, and how we can help them better. Um, and then partners uh, on the back end, making sure that the banks are happy and doing what we need to do, uh, both in the U.S. and increasingly abroad. Um, so speaking of partners, how did you uh, how did you meet your co-founder, William? <laughs> so William and I, uh, both both developers uh, by background, both both had, had had built a lot of software, and both ended up at this consulting company, Bain, uh, somehow. And in the first week uh, of him starting, uh, I was I was told to teach him how to use Excel, which is the last piece of technology I've ever taught him. So I was told to teach him how to use Excel, and then we, we ended up going down this so, rabbit so hole. Wait, of, so you could get a job at Bain without knowing how to use Excel? Uh, well, they teach you. This, okay. this is the thing they do. The, the, the first two weeks, they teach you how to use Excel, and then they said, now you have to be good at it. Um, and of course, in, in, the, in the initial uh, uh, meeting with him, uh, we decided that Python would be much more effective in, in doing the analysis <laughs> we needed to do. Um, and so uh, we became fast friends uh, uh, and actually rock climbing buddies because we had both rock climbed a lot. And this is in New York? This was, no, we lived in Atlanta at the wow. time, um, which is uh, interesting for a variety of reasons. And the first time we were rock climbing, I dropped him from about 20 feet. And that was, after that, he kind of forgave me, which was fortunate. He didn't, didn't break anything. And, and then we became kind of friends for life. Uh, and have since worked on, on everything, both building the product in the initial days. And then uh, after about 18 months of just heads down building it, once we finally launched the product, um, someone had to go sell something. Uh, and I grudgingly admitted that he's a dramatically better engineer than me. Mm. Um, it was not hard to admit that. Um, it just took me too long. Mm. Um, and so uh, now he leads all of our, our kind of product and engineering side, and I lead the go-to-market side. So the, the seeds of the company were from you dropping him while rock climbing? Apparently, yeah. Yeah. And, and the forgiveness that came with that. Mm. Uh, we talked about wartime companies before. You have to have a little bit of uh, craziness in the beginning. What does financial inclusion mean, uh, and how, how do you f help foster that? So 
One of the core principles behind Plaid or, or one of the uniting principles is to make money easier for everyone. And money for most people is the, is the most stressful thing in their lives. It's, it's the thing that, that acts as kind of the, called the limiting reagent to the things that you want to do. It determines if we can go to X, Y, Z, or if we can do X, Y, Z, or buy X, Y, Z, or have X, Y, Z. One of our, again, uniting principles is to make money easier for everyone. Um, most people don't, at least in the past, uh, when we started the company, they didn't trust the financial system. So 2008 was 10 years ago, but consumer frustration with banks is still quite high. And most people treat banks as, or, or think of banks as, as a tax on their lives. Um, you put your money into a bank and it's just a matter of time before they charge you enough fees that it's gone. And so we have this, this deep-seated focus on making money easier for people. And we believe that by creating uh, a very dynamic ecosystem of financial technology products that are trying to do good for consumer, and these products themselves competing uh, so that ultimately a consumer makes a choice based on the simplicity, the ease, the communication, the quality, the price. Um, so so that, that kind of deep-seated view of making money easier for people is, is one thing that unites us. What we found is when we built the company initially, we focused on just the biggest banks because that was the most volume, that was the most people, and that's the way to, to build the product the fastest. But we left out the people at the edges. We left out um, people that had smaller banks, community banks, um, generally the, the lower income folks that weren't able to have a big bank account um, or apply for a loan with a big bank. Uh, and so the past two years, we've actually done uh, a, a lot of work to focus on making sure that everyone at every bank can use Plaid and thus the applications powered on the back end. We'd like to do more work on, on allowing people, I think it's something like 10% of the US that, that is underbanked or, or not able to get a bank account at all. Um, so allowing people to open bank accounts for the first time themselves. And, and we've done a bit of work on the edges there. Um, but financial inclusion, making sure that everyone's able to live the financial life that they want to live is, is core to uh, kind of the principles behind the company. Um, so the title of this session was something like lessons learned in building a platform. Uh, there we go, six lessons on how to build a platform. So maybe just like one or two quick lessons on building a platform. Lessons uh, on building a platform. <laughs> um, so a couple lessons on building a platform. I think the, the first one is, is truly go slow uh, at the beginning and get it right because it's very hard to modify the way that a platform is built over time. Um, launching an API, um, versioning an API, think of versioning before you have to version. Um, we actually didn't the first time. Uh, we shipped an API with no versioning infrastructure in place. Um, versioned once. Luckily, that was a year in and we had 30 customers. And as we versioned that first time, uh, we built in the, the procedures and policies to, to make it quite easy to version in the future. Um, so, so think carefully before you launch something because people get deeply entrenched in it and then it gets really big and it's hard to fix. Um, so that's, that's one. Um, second, I would say is be truly authentic to the community of users that you have. Um, they are, they will determine the outcomes that you have as a company. Uh, they will be your best evangelists. And platforms don't necessarily have a, have a great deal of users on them. Uh, oftentimes you can build a platform that is quite successful with a small community of highly engaged users because you are the back end, you are the infrastructure that then scales rapidly on the other side. Um, so be truly authentic to them and don't ever, um, people said this before, don't ever F the customer uh, because they will determine your, your success. And then uh, I think, I think the last one is, is this concept of the flywheel um, that keeps coming up over and over again. Um, realize that the things you do now will pay off in two to three years. And uh, it's interesting, as we were fundraising, um, we, we put together this slide um, that, that basically just said, we are not SaaS um, uh, for a variety of reasons. 
Um, and when you put together SaaS multiples on a platform company, they look ridiculous. Um, and so we, we put a couple multiples up. We said, this looks ridiculous. Please don't consider us SaaS. Please, please consider us a platform. And by the way, we'd like to go make these platform decisions. So we're going to go optimize for market share over the next two years. And we're not going to optimize for revenue because in years three through five, you know, it's going to be much larger. And this is what we said early on uh, in, in the stage of the company. And so taking a patient view to understanding that, that kind of the flywheel will pay off uh, on a decades-long time horizon is crucial. And, and frankly, finding investors and, and partners and, and employees that think the same way is important. 20 seconds, what is the single most interesting thing in fintech that maybe isn't directly related to Plaid, but that you're, uh, you're watching? There's a bunch, but there's been a ton of volatility in, in fintech broadly or more specifically in the markets. And I think uh, one of the most interesting things is we're seeing these, these high-yield savings accounts come up uh, over and over again. I suspect that that is going to be the hook in the same way that Bitcoin was the hook at the beginning of, of last year. Um, the hook for this year, like the, the acquisition strategy of fintech, is going to be around high-yield. Um, so hopefully a lot of options for consumers. Great. Thanks, Zach.